Rosalie here. I am the little helper of the Live Feisty Media Podcasts. The Iron Women Podcast, I think, is one of the best podcasts in the whole entire world. I want to be a professional triathlete when I grow up because it makes us healthy and strong to do lots of triathlon. I also think I might want to be a hairdresser. Just saying. You can help Iron Women grow by using the codes IRONWOMEN when you order from our sponsors. It really helps. Those sponsors are Crave Jerky, F2C Nutrition, Sound Probiotics, Coffee Method, Rudy Project, and Smashfest Queen. Go to ironwomenpodcast.com to find all codes and links. And now, introducing your hosts, Alyssa Kadeski and Haley Chura. How are you? Alyssa, I'm doing really good and I'm so excited for this week's episode. Oh man, I cannot believe that like the days just are passing by and we are now ready to do like our full episode on FKTs, through hiking, just endurance stuff. And I'll talk more about my project that's on the long trail. I know this is, this is the endurance episode for sure. I mean, I know all of our episodes are kind of endurance based. Our sport is endurance based, but this one is the multi-day adventure, uh, endurance adventure episode for sure. Because today, today we are going to talk with Jennifer Farr Davis. Yes. So for our listeners, Jennifer Farr Davis is like where this all kind of began, at least for me, um, obviously like through hiking and FKTs kind of existed Um, well before her even. And she writes about this in a new book that she has out. She's actually out on book tour right now called The Pursuit of Endurance. And the book is phenomenal. And I think Haley, I saw her speak about a different book. Haley saw her speak on this current book tour. And the book is really interesting because it's one of the first that really goes into like a historical kind of perspective on FKTs and through hiking and gives you that information about like who the first people were what their stories were. And that piece of what their stories were is super interesting because a lot of the people who do this kind of thing, Haley, are not on the internet. They're very hard to find. They kind of just live their life the way they want to. And that doesn't always include like technology and kind of sharing their story. And Jennifer went and made the effort to contact some of these people. She like went and saw a lot of them in person and was able to hike with them and talk to them and learn their stories. And she's sharing them with us in this new book that she has. But before that book even came out, she is who she is because um, I first heard about her when she set in 2011 the record for the fastest through hike of the Appalachian Trail with a time of 46 days, 11 hours and 20 minutes. And Haley, that was the record at that time for uh, men and women. So she actually 
was just the overall record holder, which is always, you know, it's just one of those things you're like, wait, you like stop for a second when you hear it and you're like, what just happened? And then as a female, I think, you know, you hear these things and kind of it opens those doors in your mind of like what the potential could be for you. And so that was one of those things that she did for me. It was always just been sitting in my mind that she had accomplished that back in 2011. And Alyssa, did you know what her first record attempt and record set happened in 2007. Do you know what trail that was on? I do. So (laughs) for our listeners too. So she actually began her through hiking career on Vermont's long trail. And for our listeners who may not be as like well-versed in the history and you sometimes see a lot of things talking about the Appalachian trail and people are wondering if it's the same trail and everything else. So I'm going to read you this little excerpt on what the Long Trail is, and it was built by the Green Mountain Club between 1910 and 1930, and it is the oldest long-distance hiking trail in the U.S. It follows the main ridge of the Green Mountains from the Massachusetts-Vermont line to the Canadian border as it crosses Vermont's highest peaks. It was the inspiration for the Appalachian Trail, which coincides with the Long Trail for 100 miles in the southern third of the state. And so I took that off of the Green Mountain Club website. So if you're interested in learning more about the Long Trail, definitely go to the Green Mountain Club website because they are chock full of information about the Long Trail. And they're a really solid group of people, too, that'll help you out with any questions you might have if you ever want to come visit the Long Trail. Yes. And so while we are fangirling Jennifer Farr Davis and Alyssa and the Long Trail and the Appalachian Trail, it is all about Alyssa starting her record attempt on the Long Trail in just you know, sometime next week when this podcast comes out, it'll be within a week, hopefully of your start date. Yeah. So Haley, we're starting to get into that realm. Like I'm, I've dialed back my training. I'm starting to rest, starting to watch the weather reports and stuff. And the crew is, you know, they're coming in one way or another. So we have our, you know, hopeful start dates and everything lined up, but what everyone should do is to make sure you're watching the Iron Women page And we will be directing you to where to get the details when it's starting, all of that information off of the Iron Women Facebook page. And in the meantime, until we let people know that, Haley, we actually, the Iron Women page is going to be super, super busy too, because we have Sarah and Ashley headed to Lake Placid. Yeah, they'll be doing their live coverage of the Ironman Lake Placid, July 22nd, I believe is the date on that, this coming Sunday. And... They will be starting on Thursday before the race. They'll be interviewing a lot of the pro women. It is a pro women only race. So the pro women are the highlight and the showcase event um, in Lake Placid. And I think it's a big field, a really strong field. So definitely tune into the Ironman uh, Facebook page and catch Sarah and Ashley in action. And so to remind people, we're giving you all this information now because we are actually taking a little break. Haley and I are going to kind of go offline for a few weeks as we do some of these projects. Sarah will be in Lake Placid. I'll be running the long trail. And Haley, what thing are you going to accomplish while you're on your break? Because surely you're not just going to be sitting still. Hopefully I'm uh, eating a lot of ice cream. I'm going for the record in ice cream eating. No, um, I'm actually going to race an Ironman um, and Ironman Maastricht over in Netherlands. I booked my ticket, so I think it's going to happen. My first time really racing in Europe, which should be exciting. I raced Challenge Iceland several years ago, which I guess is technically Europe, but I feel like Iceland is like its own 
continent. It's like crazy, right? It was like being on a different planet. Practically. It was awesome. So, um, Maastricht is in the Netherlands, but it's in the part of the Netherlands kind of close to Belgium. So I've heard a lot of good things. I've heard the food is fantastic there. So I'm excited to kind of see a new part of the world. And of course, race in Ironman. And that race is also women's only pro women only. So that's always fun to be in the front of the race. Hopefully I can stay in the front for a while. <laughs> no, I'm sure it'll be a great field, but I'm, I'm looking forward to the competition too. Yay. Well, I'm so excited because I plan on hopefully, you know, my run will be all wrapped up and I will be able to just be relaxing, sitting feet up to spectate your Ironman at that point. And I have heard great things about, I always thought it was Ma- Maastricht, Ma- Maastricht. I don't know. Once again, I might be my, saying it wrong. Yeah. I think it's interesting how we say, you say Appalachian, or wait, Appalachian. And I say Appala- Appalachian. No, I say Appalachian. <laughs> Appalachian. Yeah. That's like I a- used to say Appalachian until I moved to the South. And now I'm like the Appalachian trail. Right. No, I think it's my Baltimore accent that says Appalachian. I think that's where I get that. If I had to guess. Maastricht, Appalachian, Rote, Roth. (laughs) We pronounce everything however we feel like it on this podcast. Take our pronunciations um, with a grain of salt, listeners. (laughs) Yes. And if you do have any guest suggestions for us as we take a couple weeks off and we'll be back mid-August, if there's anyone you'd like to hear from, as we start the new season, please send us an email. You could send it to our mailbag, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to tell us who you want to hear from. And speaking of the mailbag, Haley, in keeping with our kind of theme of the episode, we have been saving a few questions that had come in from our listeners about the long trail. So we'll kind of jump into those. And first is from Kelly. Thanks for sending these in, Kelly. She had a few questions kind of about the overall you know, project itself. So kind of what sort of training is involved in this, what the terrain is like, and then the role of the support team. She also was interested in knowing what the biggest challenges for me, whether the physical condition or my mental, mental condition challenges. Um, so I don't even know where to begin, but I'll take a step back. So the long trail is 273 miles. And as I kind of read it, it literally goes over the ridges of the highest mountains in Vermont. And when it's not on the ridges of the highest mountains in Vermont, it's going down (laughs) and then it's before it's going straight back up. So if you're familiar with trail running, a lot of times, you know, there are things like switchbacks to kind of make it easier for you to get up and down the mountains. Those don't really exist on the long trail. They literally blaze. Someone stood, you know, kind of as the story goes, someone stood on Stratton Mountain on the fire tower and just kind of like looked out over the ridge of the mountains and was like, we're making the path straight down that way, you know, and they just cut the trail through whatever lies in the way. And a lot of that means you're covering rocky terrain. It's very little runnable stuff. Like when I'm out there training on it, it's an interesting type of quote run because you're hiking, hiking, hiking you get maybe 10 or 15 meters of dirt where you could run. You run those and then you're just up against a rock scramble type of thing. So you really have to be very comfortable with changing your pace, being very versatile with between hiking, using the poles, putting the whole poles down, like how you can run with the poles because you know you're going to need them in 50 feet. You know, like all of these things are just thrown at you mile after mile on the long trail. And so because of that, training wise, the best thing for me to do was to be training literally on the terrain, because it was just something I couldn't simulate anywhere else too well. Now that I've seen it all, I probably could 
go home and find areas that I think are similar and do it that way. But without knowing, there's just no way I could have done that preemptively. And because it is so many different sections thrown at you time after time, it's like really mentally exhausting. So you know when you go on a trail run and you're almost like more mentally tired sometimes than physically tired because you're paying so much attention to what's in front of you and are you going to trip and fall, whatever. That's how it is, you know, the whole time for probably 18 to 20 hours a day for me when I do this run. And so being actually on the trail and at least taking a little bit of that uncertainty away where I've seen it at least one other time, um, you know, a few of the sections are a little bit, you know, it's marked very well, but it's always, you get to an intersection or a clearing and you have to kind of figure out where to go. So I hopefully have alleviated a lot of like the mental, you know, strain that will be on me during that because, you know, I'm not going to have to figure it all out for the first time. So my number one priority in training was definitely just being on the trail as much as I could. And my second priority after that was actually trying to do what trail runners, I think it's like a US thing, I used to think it was European, but I don't think that's the case. They call it vert. So you want to get all this vert, right? And it's talking about vertical gain. And, you know, so you go run in your neighborhood and, you know, a hilly run would get you like 100 to 150 feet per mile. Sorry for the people who use, you know, kilometers and and meters. meters, um, What would that be? Like a third? So 33 meters. 33 meters for... (laughs) Well, 1.6K or so. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, per 1.6K. <laughs> you know, that would be considered a hilly type of regular road run. And then on the long trail, I think the total vert, like ascending only, that you get over the 273 miles is 63,000 feet. So, on average, if I'm looking to run, you know, four to five days, I'm looking at around 15,000 feet or 5,000 meters just of gain. So then you also generally get around that in descending each day. So because it's just so much of that, just day after day, you have to really train your muscles to be doing those motions. It's totally different motion than running on a flat piece of asphalt. So I did a lot of quote vert and I had some days where I was just literally spending five hours climbing up and down the ski slope. Um, and it gets your legs ready to be going up and it gets them also used to that pounding down is just as important. So the first time you do things like that, you're going to get so incredibly sore, but it's been really fun for me doing this little training block because I've done like day after day of that. And, you know, I'm tired, but I'm not just like losing my capacity to walk, which is great because (laughs) because I'm going to have to keep walking out when I'm out there for the record attempt. But are you starting Sorry, mm-hmm. I should know this, but are you starting in the north or in the south? I'm so oh, good question. I'm starting in the north. So I'll start. You actually have to hike in to both the start and the finish point. So I you hike in, it's about a couple miles to they call it the northern terminus. And it's there's this, like this little monument and it marks the US Canadian border, and that's where the official start is. And then you I'll be finishing on the Massachusetts border. And there's just a sign there. And then, Haley, when it's done, I have to hike out like four and a half miles. <laughs> you should ask Sarah for a piggyback. But that point, <laughs> I, you need to make one of those like, you know, have four people carrying you on like a, like a lounge and feeding you grapes. They will be bringing a hammock in case I'm like, guys, I'm just staying here for the night. Like you go on to the, to the rental house and just I'll find you in the morning. But okay, so hopefully that kind of gave some insight into the training weather conditions, physical conditions, and mental challenges, I would say 
the weather's just going to be what it, it's going to be. You know, at this point, it doesn't look like we're having some sort of catastrophic event that's going to like put weather patterns out of the norm, which is great. So knowing that weather is kind of like third priority, there's probably two or three sections where weather play is a bigger concern. We just don't want me summiting one of the higher mountains that are very exposed during thunderstorms and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, when I'm running for multiple days through an entire state like that, I'm going to be getting all sorts of different weather conditions, hoping for like prime weather to follow me like a little sun cloud over the two. It would be lovely, but that's not realistic. So I kind of have compartmentalized that into a side of my brain that just says it is what it is. And I, you know, have the gear I'll make do mental and physical stuff. Like physically, I feel like I'm the fittest I could have gotten myself for this project. I think it, you know, it, it, it wasn't perfect. A few weeks ago, I had, uh, I cut one of my major, what I would consider one of my like target runs short. I just stopped in the middle of it because I, I literally couldn't run. Cause I had this, you know, I had admittedly slacked off on some body work and just couldn't run. And so that adjusted my whole week. And, you know, it was one of my big build weeks and we had to kind of totally play things different. But I tell myself that you don't, you almost don't want buildups to be perfect. Cause Haley, don't you kind of feel like sometimes when you have that perfect build for like an Ironman or a race, it's almost like one, two, you're like afraid. Cause it's like too good to be true. And then and you're just like kind of waiting for something. So when one thing goes wrong, you're kind of like, okay, like something went wrong. Now I can like kind of relax more. Do you ever have that? Well, I think, I mean, you're going to be out there for so many days that something's going to go wrong during that time. So I think it's good to practice that in training, like having to kind of troubleshoot, like what is, how do I get myself going again? Like, or do I take a rest day? I mean, it's the same thing, but since your race is so long, I mean, it happens in Ironman and it's only one day, but there's going to be things. And and I think being able to like troubleshoot is a really, really good, like, I don't know, thing to be able to do. Yeah, Yeah, no, it is. And I think even with Ironman, someone told me in my first days, you know, Ironman's what they said, one, it's all about it being a buffet on the bike to set you up for a good run. And then two, they said, it's who can problem solve? the best. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the exact same thing here. It's just the problems I'm now going to be facing. I haven't ever, I haven't done 30 of these types of races to be able to have them kind of be second nature. So I think the mental side of it's absolutely going to be the hardest part. I'm just expecting to be so tired, like beyond any point I can possibly imagine. And I hope that I have plans in place, you know, that include like good snacks and music and good people around me on my crew to kind of bring me back to life. But just like anything else, I think I'm ready to embrace the low moments and I know it'll pass, right? It's not, it's not going to be bad for forever. Can I ask about terminology? Because I know this goes into our conversation that we're having with Jennifer coming up too, but this what you're doing is considered a supported record attempt. Is that right? So they're supported, unsupported, or self-supported. And can you tell me about those? Yeah. So there's, you're right. There's three kinds. There's supported, unsupported, and then self-supported. So supported is what I'm doing where I do. I have a crew coming out, which is one of our other mailbag questions. So I'll give a shout out to Laurel. Thank you for that. The crew coming out is about 10 people or so, a little bit more at times. And it does. Sarah's coming as part of that. And she will be filming Laurel. You asked that too. So we'll be, again, getting a lot of that out to you guys. So be watching the Iron Women page for that. But then you can also do these things. So supported means they can run with me. Um, They can carry things for me. They can give me things. They can, 
you know, I could run with not a single thing on me if they wanted to carry the whole thing. That's not realistic with this trail, but could happen that way. Then you can do unsupported, which means no one helps you at all. And it also means you carry everything you're going to need for the entire run or hike. Um, and the only thing you can kind of like resupply is water. So you can stop and, you know, drink or filter or whatever, get more water to keep you going. I would need a very big bag of (laughs) Pop-Tarts and Snickers bars. (laughs) No, I mean, that, obviously I've had plenty of time to be thinking about these things as I'm out on my own on the trails these days. And it is, it's interesting to think about what, how different an unsupported attempt would be in the sense that you have to carry the food for that terrain. It would just, based on what I'm planning to eat, I don't know how anyone could do that, but I think that's, that would come into the training too a little bit. But the third kind is self-supported, which would mean you could mail yourself um, supplies along the way, or you could plan when the trail crosses through a town to go off the trail and um, pick up supplies somewhere, do basically whatever to do as long as it's like on your own. I don't think, you know, there's like some nuances, like you're not really supposed to even get into cars and things like, you know, like that's obviously not um, self-supported. So you'd have to like walk into the towns and things like that, but you could at least like restock your supplies. So you're carrying a little bit less. I will say, as I've spent time out there, that, that intrigues me more and more that people can do it that way. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm excited for your supported um, attempt because we get the video. That's mostly what I want. I want to be able to follow online. (laughs) So I'm excited that uh, Sarah will be there with a camera in tow. She better get some good footage. I'm excited to see that. Well, Haley, I think we we really gave Jennifer a pretty good introduction already. I'm not sure we really need to add too much more than that other than to just... Well, she did. She's author of three books. So we were fangirling her most recent one, The Pursuit of Endurance. But if anyone wants to also read her other books, Becoming Odessa and Called Again, which are about becoming, they're very different. All three, you mentioned what The Pursuit of Endurance is kind of this collection of stories about the historical part of the trail. And it's, it's fascinating. It's, I think that if anyone is interested in just learning more about FKTs and the history of these, you know, endurance, multi-day endurance runs, that is a great place to start. And then her other books are more about her own personal adventures on the trails called again is about her speed record from 2011. And fun fact, I was up in the North Georgia mountains on July 31st, 2000, when she finished her speed record. So I was actually quite aware that day. And my friends and I, we used to ride up there quite a bit. And we were like hoping maybe we'd see her at one of the crossings. And we were like going up through Neil's Gap and all that, but we didn't. Um, but I did, I definitely was aware. And I've been a fan of, of a long, you know, of hers for a long time. And I think it's, she has some really cool insight on what she believes women are capable of in endurance sports. And, you know, and it's, she's a cool person to have in sports. I agree, Haley. And I think, you know, again, not our typical Iron Women interview, but we have been getting great feedback from you guys. So keep that coming that you are enjoying these other interviews where maybe you can zone out from your Iron Man training a little bit and listen to Jennifer talk here because she is certainly an Iron Woman. We are grateful to be supported by Crave Jerky, Coffee Method, F2C Nutrition, Sound Probiotics, Rudy Project, and Smashfest Queen. Hi, Jennifer. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hey, y'all. Thanks for having me. 
And Jennifer, before we get into talking about record attempts and setting records, can we start at the beginning? And can you tell us a little bit about how you started hiking, how you started trail running, and specifically how you got into this long distance hiking and running? Well, actually, the the answer is pretty tied to this podcast because back when I was in college and I didn't grow up hiking or backpacking or really competitive running or any of that. But in college, I just decided every semester I would try one new thing. And one semester it was skydiving. And one semester I learned how to knit. And one semester I entered a beauty pageant and didn't win. Um, But I just was into all these random experiences. And one semester I trained for a marathon. And it really, that was the one that kind of stuck with me. And after that, I thought, man, I want to go farther. And so then I decided by the time I graduated that I wanted to try to complete an Ironman triathlon. So bought a bike and, and started swimming and worked on it for about two years and then did um, the Florida Ironman in Panama City Beach when I was 21. And then, and even before then, I just thought, man, I want to go farther. And so, you know, the one thing after that that I knew of that was farther than an Ironman was the Appalachian Trail. And for me, as a recent college grad, I just thought, man, what a great adventure. What a good way to spend five months before starting my career. It was super affordable. I definitely had this like deep inner urge to spend more time in nature and to learn more about the outdoors. So I set off at age 21 and and hiked the Appalachian Trail. I love that your thought process went from 140.6 miles to over 2,000 miles. (laughs) You were like, I need something further. Let's just multiply that by a lot. So like you said, you were only 21, fresh out of college and starting to your first through hike on the Appalachian Trail. Did you have friends or family who thought that being a woman and hiking alone on the trail would be a terrible idea? And what did you say to them? And I guess, did you ever feel unsafe while you were on the trail? Yeah, I think, you know, I had a lot of friends and family who were hesitant and my my mom was actually a strong opposition to my first hike on the Appalachian Trail and subsequent long distance hikes. Um, But I think, you know, being a single woman and especially from the Southeast, it was just cultural, this idea that, you know, a woman going into the woods on her own wouldn't be safe or smart. And I think those voices, because I did hear a lot of negativity before that I started. And I think those voices did kind of, you know, ring in my head for a little while, but once I got out there, the reality of the trail is just not the voices you hear or the news stories you read about. I was just honestly walking two miles per hour on a dirt path. And yes, there are people out there, but most of them are just the best people you would ever want to meet. And for the people who argue that, you know, um, the individuals out there are going to put you at risk, I say, well, that's not untrue. But like my dad said, when he dropped me off at the beginning of the trail, he said, you know, people might be your biggest risk, but there are people everywhere. So if this is something you want to do, you should do it. And then um, my perception of of dangerous wildlife just wasn't correct at all. Like I saw a ton of bears, a ton of snakes. They never wanted anything to do with me. Still to this day, the two animals I've had the most trouble with have been unfriendly dogs off leash and insects. And we have those in our neighborhood. So that's not a big deterrent for hiking. And Yeah, I think I got over the fear for safety pretty early on. And that's not to say that there aren't risks, but 
I do think they're healthy risk. I think they give you a, you know, a humble attitude and they set good boundaries for you. And I think in our society, we all probably have a false sense of security, which I don't think is always healthy. So, and through my journeys and travels and because I've, you know, written about them and and shared my stories, I think most of my friends and family have also come around and, you know, discovered what it's really like out there. And now a lot of them are, are hikers and backpackers too. And in your books, you mention when you finished that first through hike, um, when you were 21 years old, and I think it took you five or six months and you were standing in Maine and you swore that your through hiking days were over. Obviously this didn't happen, but I think a lot of our (laughs) listeners can kind of relate to that feeling when they finish an Ironman or even a a shorter distance triathlon, just being like, wow, that was the hardest thing I possibly do. Like, I don't want to do anything like that ever again. What led you back to the trails? You know, I don't think I really realized the transformation until I got back home. And the trail was so humbling and it was so difficult. And by the end, I was just so tired of being tired and being dirty. And I wanted showers and I wanted air conditioning and clean clothes. And then I got that. And every day I was just thinking about the trail. And I realized, you know, my values had changed and the way I defined success had changed and sort of what I wanted out of life looked different. And so the path that I had set for myself before the trail that I thought I would follow no longer seemed to make sense. So at that point, and also just realizing that I could go back to the trail because for a long time I thought, well, this is my one adventure, you know, my one big break. And then I'm going to go back to normal life and have my 30 year career and everything's going to look very standard. And when I realized I didn't have to follow that path, that was very liberating and exciting. And then, you know, I knew in my heart, I wanted to go back to the trail and not, you know, the Appalachian trail right away, but there were other long distance footpaths. So I did the Pacific Crest Trail. I saved up money and started having um, some international treks and adventures and did other domestic trails that weren't quite as long. So it was just really eye-opening for me to hike the trail and realize that life didn't have to look like I thought it had to look or like everyone else expected it to. So your first trail record attempt, Jennifer, actually happened on the Long Trail in Vermont in August of 2007. And that's actually where I've been camped out for about a month now as I kind of prep to go run the trail uh, myself in a little bit this summer here. But I'm definitely interested to hear, I guess, kind of why you even thought about going from the through hiking mindset to going for the trail record. And then why did you start on the long trail? And please feel free to insert any tips you have along the way for the long trail. (laughs) Sure. So a couple of things are happening off trail that impacted my decision. You know, I, um, at that point, um, after a couple of years of, of working a normal job and taking off time and time and time again to go hike, I was at the point where I was ready for um, a transition. It was around that time I started my own hiking company in North Carolina called Blue Ridge Hiking Company. And I also, this is the personal side, but I had just been through a, a bad breakup and I was like, I just need to go to the trail. And at that point, I had also, I had run ultra marathons and, you know, I had the background doing the Ironman and I always had loved pushing my limits. So I thought, well, maybe I'll try for a record. Um, And at first I thought of doing a record on the Appalachian Trail because it was just one of the most storied footpaths and where I had my beginning. And I talked to a friend and mentor, Warren Doyle, about that. And he said, 
well, don't you think you should try setting a record on a shorter trail first, just to make sure that you like it or it's something you really want to do for close to two months, which is what it takes on the Appalachian Trail. And I thought, well, that's pretty sage advice. So Warren sort of helped me and um, taught me through a a schedule and the mentality of going for a record. And that was usually helpful because he had not only set a record on the Appalachian Trail, but also the long trail. And it was, you know, four decades ago, but the mentality of it doesn't change. So then I went up to the long trail without support and I hiked it in about a week and I just, I loved it. I loved it. Like I got to the end and I was like, oh, I'm over that boy. I'm ready to start my company. Like this gave me the motivation and the strength I needed to really feel like confident going forward. And it also made me realize that I wanted, you know, to try for a record on the Appalachian Trail. And so my only advice for the long trail is don't go for the women's record, like go for the overall record, even though it's really steep and really hard. I think women too often limit themselves by seeing, seeing themselves in a different category, especially when it comes to trail records. Oh, my blood I like pressure that. just went up like 20,000 points when you said <laughs> Alyssa, I, I think we do. We need to change your goals here. We'll, we'll talk more after. I'll, I'll, well, I'm just inserting myself as your official advisor, but I think when Jennifer Farr Davis says go for the overall record, you go for the overall record. <laughs> yeah, what's the worst that happens? You don't set it and then you still have a great time and you can say you're the fastest woman, but yeah, go for the overall record. That's That's true. I mean... If you know, knew me a little bit better, you know that there's definitely thoughts in the back of my head. It's kind of gaining confidence and like, as I am out here running, things are becoming more clear to me, but we'll see. We'll see. (laughs) But see, that's a woman thing. Like we always like doubt ourselves and our ability and we see ourselves in a different category and you just have to like start out and say, I belong. And you have to like mentally set the bar high, you know, and set the expectations high and then be okay failing, which again, women suck at, but it's like, you gotta, I, I just think the mindset is so important to it. And I know that, and that took me several records to really realize, but I know I limited myself on the long trail and the first time I did the Appalachian Trail because I thought women couldn't compete equally with men. And you did set the overall unsupported record on the long trail in that attempt. And I believe it was seven days, 15 hours and 40 minutes. And like you mentioned, went on to attempt a supported record on the Appalachian Trail. But what I think is really interesting about your first record attempt on the Appalachian Trail was that I believe you and your husband, Brew, had only been married for a few weeks when you started your record attempt and Brew was your crew. And obviously you are still married now. You've talked about your husband and (laughs) children, but- this was sort of a non-traditional honeymoon. And I kind of am curious, was it, was it really good for your relationship or did it kind of strain your relationship? Yes, Uh, (laughs) definitely both of those, but yeah. So we had been married 12 days when we started and support is really hard. Like support is hard for, you know, someone just offering emotional support, a triathlon or physical support at an ultra marathon, but support for close to two months is extremely grueling. So Brew and I, what we both say, my husband and I, we both say that we worked a lot on communication that summer. And then that's as far as we go. We've basically like sworn to like go any deeper than that and rehash all the 
um, you know, conflicts that came up that summer. But overall, it was an awesome way to start our marriage. And we did grow closer because of the trail and our communication did get better. And and there was one day, this is funny, I was just pointing that out. We were like hiking. He was doing a short section with me. And I was like, you know, I just think this is really good because here we are and we've just been married and we're away from our friends and, and family and having this like adventure together and we're really bonding and Brew, like I looked back at him and sweat was just pouring down his face and we were scrambling up this rocky mountain and it was hot and humid. And he goes, yeah, but couldn't we have an adventure away from friends and family and bond on the beach at Fiji? And that's like <laughs> been something we've referred to multiple times in our marriage. Um, and we have never been to a beach at Fiji, but it, it does sound lovely and maybe one day we'll make it. Continuing kind of with that theme of cruise and support, because you've done so much self-supported, but then you've also had cruise along for a lot of your big goals that you've achieved. So why do you feel that crews are so important during big endeavors, like setting the trail record, or like you said, you know, in an Ironman, just having people along with you to support you? How do you select the crew? Um, I imagine some of it's logistics, right? Especially for something like the longer trails, it's pretty hard to find people who can also have a lifestyle which allows them to take that amount of time off. But have you ever had issues with a crew even? Um, maybe someone, you know, who was a close friend as well. Yeah. And the social dynamics of a crew are, are so important, you know, and I will flash back for a minute to the Ironman that I completed. And one thing that made it so special is I actually played college tennis and all the girls on the, the college tennis team came down um, and it was like a five or six hour drive and they were all there to cheer me on and they had cowbells and they had posters. And one of the girls, I'll never forget, she wrote this big poster that said, it's all about the calories. And like that got stuck in my head the whole time. I'm like, just earning the carbs right now, you know, but it was so meaningful to have them there. And then it is funny because I, you know, I did, I don't know, something like seven or 8,000 miles of backpacking on my own. And then I got married and then all of a sudden, I didn't want to be off on my own anymore. And, you know, Brew was willing to support me and help me try for records. And so we became a team and I just, one of the best feelings I've ever had in my life is like accomplishing something that I know I couldn't have done on my own. And Brew has given me that time and time again on and off trail. And I love that. And then we also have friends and family who have jumped in at different times or hikers or trail runners who have come to help. And I find like the best crew are the one who have um, not necessarily the closest ties to you, but the most alignment with your goal or your mission, because, you know, we have had conflicts at time where let's say like a friend came out and they wanted to be helpful, but also just like hang out and drink beer and eat pizza. And that, you know, that's not really the vibe on a record attempt or they wanted to be helpful, but they also wanted to take really beautiful photos along the way. And it's like, well, we can't, prioritize your photography because we got to keep moving down the trail. But the people who were out there and understood, you know, the intent and the goal and love to hike and love to move and wanted to be helpful, like we've had such a good time. And that's been a huge carryover for me with my business, with my hiking company and the people I work with. I've realized that alignment is so huge in a company. And then also it was interesting when I wrote the book, the, the latest book, The Pursuit of Endurance, I thought I would find all these commonalities between the endurance athletes that I interviewed. And there were very, very, very few similarities, but the one 
that stuck out above all the uh, above like anything else was that they all said, you know, this person helped me and I couldn't have done it without them. And it doesn't always work to where their support is on the trail, but it was, you know, sometimes a spouse at home working and paying bills so they could live their dreams. Or sometimes it was on trail crew, or sometimes it was, you know, a parent who had encouraged them and opened them up to different opportunities that allowed them to do it. But they all pointed to someone who allowed them to really pursue their dreams. So I think, you know, support and relationships is hugely important in matters of endurance. And going back to that first record attempt in the summer of 2008, you did actually set the women's supported record on the Appalachian Trail where you averaged 38 miles per day and you finished in 57 days. But you've kind of alluded to this earlier in this conversation, but you said that that record didn't feel complete. And in June of 2011, you found yourself back in Maine, ready to make an attempt on the overall record. Can you elaborate a little bit on that thought process and why it felt, you know, really important to go for the overall record? Yeah. And so this, you know, Alyssa, I want you to learn from this. If you don't want to have to do the long trail twice, (laughs) then you should just go ahead and go all out the first time, you know, I knew like when I, when I set the women's record on the Appalachian trail, and first of all, you know, I didn't want to fail. And the women's record was just out there to be had. It was very attainable. The men's record was crazy, scary and hard and intimidating. So I thought I'll go for the women's record. And at that time, you know, having grown up playing sports and having older brothers, I, you know, knew that no matter how hard I trained or practiced, I wasn't as fast or strong as guys. So I thought guys would have the faster time. And then I got out there and was just doing these like repeat 40 mile days, like clockwork. And I wasn't running and I knew I could even go longer into the day if I wanted to. And it occurred to me that this had nothing to do with how fast you could run or how big your muscles were. And then I also, you know, the trail gives you so much time to think. And I was thinking about other trails and people I finished near. And I thought about the guys who, guys always look horrible at the end of a long trail. They just, they're emaciated and scruffy and hunched over. And women look awesome. Like their calves are huge. They're muscular. They're svelte. And they look like they can keep going. And all these things started to just, you know, occur to me, like, well, women hold on to their weight better and we live longer. And, you know, we have lower daily uh, caloric and hydration needs, which can be good when you're carrying all your supplies and we've evolved to carry the weight of pregnancy and give birth. So we're awesome at carrying packs and we have a really high pace threshold. And then at the end, I just, you know, in the beginning saw myself at a disadvantage and then finished and thought, well, maybe I'm an equal and maybe I can compete. And then there was this voice that said, maybe I have what it would take to set the overall record. And so really I've had to, you know, suffer twice to find that limit and to find that threshold where I had the right mindset the first time I probably would have only done it once. And if we kind of fast forward through to the ending of that second attempt, you averaged 47 miles a day for 46 days, 11 hours and 20 minutes, and you broke the overall record by more than a full day. But I'm sure that there were moments on the trail where you didn't think you could make it or you really wanted to stop, to be quite honest. So can you tell us a story maybe about any particular low moment, but also a particularly good moment or a high moment that you had during that attempt? Yeah. And, you know, I really had to psych myself up for it because, again, my my body had said, you know, you can do repeat high mileage days. You can do what the guys are doing. 
But then I started, and before I started, we talked about this with my first hike, there were all these external voices. And in the beginning, it was about safety. And then going for the record, it was just, you don't belong out here. Like people said, A, you can't appreciate it doing a record. B, you know, I was a woman competing against men and they didn't think that I could. And then C, my approach was to hike instead of run. So everyone thought the mechanics were off and that I wouldn't make the mileage. And so I actually came up with this mantra or saying that was really important for me in the beginning. And it was just like, I belong. Like, I belong out here. I know what I can do. I love this trail. I've been out here before. Like, I belong. Um, So that was helpful in overcoming a lot of the self-doubt in the beginning. And then I did have a really tough start. I had horrible weather in New Hampshire and it's, you know, I've seen other people come through and break my record and they've all had such nice weather. (laughs) Hardest part of the trail. And I'm like, man, but yeah, I I got shin slints the first week and then I went through just horrible rain and sleet in New Hampshire. And I dealt with a bout of hypothermia and then I had these really strange side effects. So then on day 12, on top of all that, or because of all that, my body was just shutting down and I got really sick. And so now I'm way behind record pace and depleted and dehydrated and running into the bushes. And at that point I was struggling to go a mile per hour. And so I came out to the next road and Brew was waiting there for me and I was crying. And I said, I'm just done. Like I'm done with the trail and done with the record and I'm ready to go home. And so Brew thought for a minute and then he looked at me and he said, well, if you really want to quit, that's fine. He said, but you just can't quit right now. And he said, right now you feel too bad to make a good decision. So you got to eat, drink, take some medicine and then keep going till tomorrow night. And then if you still want to quit, I'll take you home. Yeah. He said all that. And as a side note, he also like drove off very quickly in the support van and it's really difficult to quit without a ride. And so I continued, continued with the intention of quitting in about 36 hours. And then finally the medicine kicked in and I felt better. And it was interesting because at that point, no part of me thought I could set the record. I didn't think it was an option anymore, but I did feel like if I wanted to, I could keep going. And it was at that point that I realized that I really wasn't out there for the record. What I wanted was to just find my best. Like I wanted to know what I could do and I wanted to be able to, you know, move on and embrace a different season of life and a different pace of life and not always look back and have unanswered questions or regret. So I figured if I could still keep going, then, you know, I hadn't found my best. And so from that point, I, I went forward less focused actually on the record and more motivated by just finding out what I could do. And Jennifer, you mentioned hiking versus running and I'm picturing 47 miles a day for more than a month. Is this power hiking or like, and what was, you know, the thought process between hiking versus running? Um, I just felt like over, you know, 2000 miles hiking was a more efficient way to cover that distance. And I felt like it was less pressure on my joints and less recovery time and a less or reduced risk of tripping and falling. So I loved the run and I've run, you know, for 20 years. Um, just for fun and recreationally and, and races, but I don't know. My body just said hike. It was a process of just listening to my body and granted, you know, going for an overall record on a shorter trail, like the long trail or one that's less than 300 miles, you're probably going to have to run 
to get your miles, but you'd be, I think you'd be surprised by how much you actually can hike. And I have hiked 77 miles in a day before, actually 23 hours. So yeah, if you're, if you're consistent and you, you know, it's not crazy like Olympic speed walking motion, but if you're focused and intent and efficient and not taking long breaks, then you can average three or a little over three miles per hour. It depends on the trail. Like in Maine and New Hampshire on the Appalachian Trail, you're you're happy if you're going two miles per hour. But on other places, you know, when I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail, there were times I could get four miles per hour um, pretty consistently. So, so on the Appalachian Trail in general, I was like, okay, if I aim for three miles per hour and I hike for 16 to 18 hours per day, that's how I get my miles. And I do think over the long long haul my body just felt better hiking so again it's not it's nothing against running or runners I just my body said hike and I listened it is interesting watching some of the people out there the different techniques for hiking slow versus fast and it's you know it's kind of interesting just to see how everyone has their own go at moving across the trail it's definitely a personal thing I think just like pointing out that like one's not better than the other like I love Mm -hmm. smelling the roses smelling the roses is awesome and then I also love doing 50 miles a day because you get to see so much and, you know, and see what you're made of at the same time. So I just, you know, I think it's all good. I definitely agree. And Jennifer, in 2016, the overall supported record on the AT was broken twice, first by Scott Jurek, who's an accomplished ultra runner, uh, who broke your record by only three hours. And then later by Carl Metzler, who broke Scott's record by nearly 10 hours. And the record went down to 46 days. So kind of taking a step back and looking at these records across the board, you know, Carl talked a little bit and there were some rumors that came around about his budget and having sponsors on the trail and, you know, a budget close to 100K, things like that. I never really heard anything confirmed. And then, you know, later even Q Stringbean, who comes on last August and breaks the self-supported record, also gaining the overall FKT in the process with 45 days, 12 hours and 10 minutes. So from you to Stringbean, there's definitely been kind of a wide array of people and support and not support and money and maybe not as much money. And what are your thoughts on money and through hiking? And is there a tipping point? Like, can a larger budget only help you so much? Yeah, no, you can't buy it. And that was that was a point I made in my book. I wrote The Pursuit of Endurance after, and Scott and Carl actually set the record in different years. So Scott, I think, was 15, Carl was 16, and then Stringbean was 17. And I think there's at least three people going after it this summer. So it's crazy how even the popularity and the caliber of athlete has increased so rapidly. But uh, yeah, I just kind of shuddered to think that, you know, folks would assume you had to have an elite ultra running resume or, you know, huge sponsorships to be able to set the record because it's just not, there's not really an advantage that money is going to buy you out there. And that, you know, there are perks like, you know, Carl had money um, and time to train. I think that's huge because most people when they're training, they're still working a nine to five job. Some of them have families and they have those responsibilities and pressures plus the training and the training is so high mileage for these things that it's really hard to balance the two. And then Scott Jurek, you know, he had the nutritionist at Cliff Bar flown out to, you know, give him diet and nutrition tips on the trail. But I think, and, and honestly, like there's a little bit of a clash because of that. And I do think, and I would hope 
the ultra runners would do a little due diligence on the culture of the Appalachian Trail before trying for a record because, you know, it's a little like traveling to a foreign country and only speaking English and expecting people to understand or trying to pay with U.S. currency. Like the culture of long trails is different than the culture of ultra marathoning. And when you come into that environment, you want to be respectful of the type of people who are out there and the traditions on the trail and certainly the over-commercialization of FKTs is, is a rub there. So, and things like, you know, there's a no drone use policy for the Appalachian trail and there's any like commercial film or, or photography should really be permitted by land management groups. And that's, yeah, that's not, not usually adhered to. So there's a lot, all that to say, there's a lot of finer points, but what it gets back to exactly how you phrase the question. Like there's all these different people doing it and, and there's men and there's women and there's big budget and there's low budget and there's hikers and there's runners. And at the end of the day, I just think the differences matter a lot less than you would think, honestly, um, because so much of this at the end of the day it's mental, it's about resilience, and it's about the relationship between the mind and body. And that's such a personal thing that it's really hard to have that big of an impact as, you know, a sponsor or um, or a crew or, you know, some of these other external circumstances. It is a very internal journey. So, yeah, they matter less than I think people realize. Jennifer, since 2011, it seems like you've you've changed your focus a little from trail records to raising a family, being an author, and running your hiking business in North Carolina. And as we mentioned before, you and your husband, Brew, have two children, a five-year-old daughter and a one-year-old son. And I guess while you aren't logging these 40 plus mile days on the trail, if you take a look, anyone takes a look at your Instagram account, they're going to see that you and your family do seem to spend a lot of time outdoors. So was this decision to kind of change your focus to family, a purposeful one, or did it just evolve over time? Do you miss the long days on the trail? And do you think you'll ever return maybe when your children are a bit older? You know, honestly, I think wanting a family was a really big motivating factor for me accomplishing what I did on trails. And it goes back to that moment where I was ready to quit and looking ahead, I, I knew that was my only opportunity out there because I was ready you know, to try to be a mom. And Brie and I had talked about this being an opportunity for me to explore my limits before starting our family. So it's interesting when you look at my long distance trail resume compared to the guys, because most of the guys have failed on numerous occasions before setting the record. And some of them have families and they give time to that, but they didn't have to give their bodies over to that. So I knew I wanted it. It's something I love and embrace, but I think if anything, it was helpful for me and encouraging me to accomplish what I did and, and test my limits during a season when I knew that I could, but I still, you know, I have to remind myself now that cause I'm doing less than what I used to. And sometimes I, I get a little stuck on that. And then I realize, well, I still, I'm so, you know, fortunate, like I run a hiking company and there's, plenty of days each year where I'm outdoors with a group and that's, that's my work. And I get to expose other people to the place that I love and I get to, you know, log some miles doing it. And, you know, Brew and I have this agreement where we both get two weeks a year for independent adventure with our young kids. And so I backpack, you know, three or 400 miles a year 
on any trail that I want. And that feels pretty good. And then, um, yeah, we take family adventures too. So in all, I'm really happy. I'm really happy with where I'm at. And, you know, I, I'm someone who loves everything that I, that I've done and I hope to do a lot more and maybe it'll look the same or maybe it'll look different, but I don't feel pressure to stay the same. And I love the ability to, you know, evolve and be different and look for different adventures and, enjoy time with your kids and family while you have it and also <laughs> apply the lessons of endurance to raising kids because it is not easy or running a business. So yeah, I'd, I'd say it's all good and who knows what'll come next. Jennifer, in your most recent book, The Pursuit of Endurance, you actually interview and write about some of your role models and your mentors in endurance sport. Why did you think it was important to celebrate these people? And can you just talk a little bit about what it was like to be able to track some of them down and get to speak to them face to face? Yeah, this was like a dream project for me. Like I, there were so many reasons I wanted to write this book and I had thought about it for a long time. And, you know, part of it was the impact that these people and their journeys had had on my life and how powerful it was. Part of it (laughs) was getting a little sassy or upset after like, you know, when like Scott Jarrett goes out and breaks the, the record and then everyone assumes that, you know, records are, are held by trail runners and that's it. Or some people think that the record started with David Horton, who was a trail runner. And there are so many records before that held by hikers. And it was just like, the whole story wasn't known. And I also, another thing is like when people would write about records or fastest known times, it was clear they didn't really understand the sport, which granted it's this emerging underground sport. And then I felt like the people who I knew personally most of the time were also misrepresented. And maybe the biggest disservice was that they were, they were portrayed as larger than life. And I'm like, no, these, these are such relatable people. And that's one thing I love about this sport of trail records is like most of these folks did not grow up as athletes. You know, one of the the women I um, interviewed in the book, Heather Anderson, like her story is so powerful. She grew up overweight and struggled with depression and insecurity and eating disorders. And then because of hiking, she realized that her body was a gift. And now she has been sort of the preeminent trail record setter for men and women um, for the past four years. And she just, it's, yeah, so incredible. So I just felt like it was going to take basically an insider's view to get a into the mind of this sport and what it's all about. And then into the the living rooms of people who have, who have set the records. And I really wanted to be that person. And then I went through this two and a half year process of, of interviewing these athletes as well as the physiologist and sports psychologist. And there was such a feeling of weight to the project because I had written about, you know, myself previously, And that's hard, you know, it's difficult being vulnerable, but it's nothing compared to having people invite you into their house, take a long hike with you and share their most like um, raw experiences and then trust you to portray it to a larger public. Like it was really overwhelming and a big responsibility. And I tried really hard to um, make it something that everyone was was proud of who agreed to be involved. So I think the people in it are so incredible. They're so diverse. I think the book is really powerful because it is so much more than my experience. And 
everyone who reads it is going to relate with um, at least one person, if not several individuals within the book. And again, I think, you know, the idea that you get to the end and you realize they're all so different and there are so few commonalities between them. That's really a hopeful message at the end of the day for anyone who wants to be involved in, um, you know, physical or, or emotional or mental pursuits of endurance. And Jennifer, there's a really beautiful paragraph near the end of the pursuit of endurance about running and about life. Would you do all of us a huge favor and read it for us? Sure. Okay. So you, you asked for that earlier, so I have it pulled it up right here. And yeah, on this podcast, you don't get to meet my husband and he's mentioned in here um, and he sounds a little judgmental. So just know. Just know that he's really wonderful most of the time, Um, but here's the passage. When Brew and I are in the car and we pass a runner or walker on the sidewalk, it is natural for my husband to make comments about how fast or slow they're going and what their stride looks like. My rule of thumb is that you never judge someone else's pace or form because you don't know how far they've come or what they're still planning to do. We all have our long trails, and most of them do not include much hiking or running. Outside the forest, our paths take the form of higher education, climbing out of debt, navigating a career, staying married, undergoing divorce, surviving tragedy, and coping with illness. And it helps us all to not come to quick conclusions about other people's paths and instead approach each individual with encouragement and compassion because we might be on different trails, but we are all mid-journey. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for reading that. I think that that book and also Called Again, which is one of your other books, are permanent fixtures on my nightstand. And it has been a huge, huge honor for me to get to talk to you and hear some of your wisdom as I continue my project this summer. But thank you so much for coming on Iron Women today. And I hope our listeners, well, I know our listeners have learned a lot and hopefully we get some of them out on the trails with us in the future. That sounds great. Thanks y'all. Thanks for having me. Alyssa, I have to know after listening to Jennifer's calling you out, have you contacted the men's FKT record holder for their long trail. Are you going to go for that overall record? She did call me out a little bit, didn't she? So Haley, I guess the the easy answer is yes, in theory, right? So I'm, I haven't contacted. Um, so Jonathan Basham is the male record holder. His record is four days, 12 hours, 46 minutes. And Nikki is the women's supported record holder in five days, seven hours and 42 minutes. I think I got those right. And Um, I'm going to contact them both. I haven't done that yet. I was just kind of, to be honest, waiting to make sure all the prep went well and things were really going to happen. Nikki's also racing this really big ultra this weekend, the Hard Rock 100. So, um, I think she has some, some big things on her mind and I'll touch base with her after she crushes that. Cause I'm, there's a lot of ultra fans who have been waiting for her to take on this race for quite some time now, but yeah, I'm going to give, uh, old JB a heads up that I'm going for it and, uh, see, you know, just put it on his radar because why not? I think, my crew and I have a pretty good plan that we, our plan is that we just don't know how to plan because there is literally no way to know how it's going to go. But 
his pace looks pretty similar to what I'm hoping to hold in the early couple days. So if that happens, then it could be game on after that. But we'll see, Haley. I don't know. It's, it's afraid. I'm, I'm trying not to think past day two, to be honest. Awesome. Well, four days, 12 hours. I'm going to be watching the Iron Woman Facebook page anxiously for when Sarah shows you starting, then I will start my watch. And I think you got it. I think you can do it. I love what Jennifer said about, you know, women going after the overall records in events like these, because we are so suited for them. And just, I think it's kind of cool. This culture of FKTs, how you have to kind of say you're going for this big thing and it makes it scary. And there's this risk and you might fail, but Hey, you might do some really great things along with that. So I think it's cool. I admire you. I admire you both a lot. So I'm excited. I got to be part of this conversation. Thanks, Haley. Well, no matter what, when we are back from the break, we will have all sorts of things to talk about this and your race and everything else. So just a reminder to the listeners, let us know what you want to hear more of after our break, who you would like us to talk to. You can send that into ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And in the meantime, uh, check out the Iron Women Facebook page. Sarah and Ashley will be doing their thing live in Lake Placid for all of the pro women going on, goings ons. Is that a, is that a yes? Thing? And then I think that works. So Lake Placid, and then keep following as Alyssa makes her long trail record attempt, and then we'll be back mid August to hear everything that went down. We'll have some major catching up to do. We will. Well, Haley. I, I guess this is it for a couple of weeks, but I will be talking to you, I'm sure. Have a great race, and I'll talk to you in August. Thanks. Good luck to you, too. Talk to you soon. Bye. Why I like biking? You're really moving your feet, and it's fun because you can actually steer where you're going when you want to. Whereas in swimming and running, you might have to plan ahead because in both of those things, either in swimming, you can run out of breath, or in running, you could trip and fall. The Iron Woman Podcast is produced by Live Feisty Media. Our awesome hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Our editor is Aaron Hamilton. Our social media queen is Danielle Adino. And our producer is my mom, Sarah Gross. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Leave us a review on iTunes. And have a great week of swimming, biking, and running. Bye for now. Bye for now.